Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we are talking to some very elite entrepreneurs, not just in what they do, but how they do it. And my guest today is Sean Campbell. He's founder and CEO of a company called Cascade Insights, and I'll tell you why it says Cascade in a little bit. He's been training, mentoring, and educating his entire life, so you know that that's something that's very, very important to him. He's also a frequent conference speaker. In fact, he's delivered talks for Fortune 50 companies and many, many top-tier conferences. He's also authored several books on technical issues as well as business topics. Now, he's been a professional services firm owner for more than 20 years, and his professional services work has spanned things like consulting engagements with those Fortune 50 startups and and those Fortune 50 companies and other startups that you've probably heard of. He's also uh, been responsible for the sale of his very first professional services company and the growth of delivery, sales, marketing, and operational practices inside professional services firms. So he's seen it not only from the ownership standpoint, but inside the nitty gritty where it can really get messy. You know, really in short, he brings a wealth of knowledge when it comes to things that we all often talk about surviving and then of course thriving as not only a services firm owner, but also perhaps just the leader of a practice area inside another firm, especially services firm, and how we can actually relate to our customers in a way that drives business. So joining me from the beautiful state of Oregon is Sean. Thank you for being my guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that's why I said Cascade. I love it because we know that you're near the Cascades. I've flown over them many times in that area since I grew up in Spokane. But thank you for being with us today. And I hit some of the highlights, Sean, of your bio. But tell me a little bit more about you, your company today, and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Yeah, yeah. So so the company's Cascade Insights. Um, we sometimes say it's a little bit of a play on words, too, because um, on one hand, as young entrepreneurs, when we started it, it was the Cascade Mountain Range. And if you go back in the internet Wayback Machine, and if you all don't know what that is, go to archive.org and you can go see a website that should shame us. So go look back in 2007 and go look at Cascade Insights. Meaning, meaning, you know, all marketing when you start a company uh, probably exists to just not disqualify you, right? I mean, you know, because you you basically have a very limited presence and that's where it starts, right? And the Wayback Machine, by the way, if you've never done it on brands or companies, go go do it sometimes. It's kind of fun because you can go see what they look like. That. Yeah, you can go see what a website looked like 20 years ago and that kind of thing. So anyway, um, so uh, we started out that way, but the play on words is a little bit of the word cascade is kind of like knowledge that just keeps going on and kind of bumping into other knowledge and, and growing. And we're a market research firm predominantly. Mm-hmm. So we go help our clients learn more about the market, and then they turn that into kind of actionable things they can use to kind of change the market in ways that they find advantageous. And pretty much we get hired for two reasons. Uh, It's either pain or opportunity. 
So pain is the client turns around and, you know, their competitor is doing a better job than them. Uh, that's self-inflicted pain. They launched a product that sucks. Uh, they have bad sales team hygiene. Uh, their marketing <laughs> isn't great, whatever it is. Um, and so on the opportunity side, it's usually more like they see more revenue somewhere out there that they want to gain. So they want to go reach a new sector. So they currently work in the US. They want to go work in Europe. They want to understand the European market. Um, they have a new product that they want to launch and they want to understand how to market it. Or maybe they don't even know what product to launch, but they feel that there is some job to be done that they could serve, but they don't really know how to build the product to meet it. So we'll go help them figure that out. Uh, I would honestly say that we work probably 75% of our work is pain driven, uh, partly because I think if you're in corporate America and you go into a meeting and you say, we'd like to go tackle Europe and you say, but we'd like some research on Europe. Somebody says, well, how much potential there's in Europe? And you spitball it and you come up with a number and they go, let's just try it. On the other hand, if the competitor is killing you, uh, and it's very easy to go into a meeting and say, we need research because we're losing to the competitor, which you could summarize in a way. My business partner likes to say that we work for losers, uh, which is a sad way to put it. We sometimes say to that people in interviews, like they'll say like, who do you guys work for? We go losers. And they're like, what does that mean? You know? And, um, but it's, it's yeah. kind of true in a way because like once they're compressed by that pain, right. Um, they really feel the need to understand the market better and then they call us. And then the second thing we do, and I'll, this is a much shorter piece, is that because we predominantly work for a B2B marketer in a B2B technology company. Mm -hmm. So think of folks like Amazon and Google, our clients and Microsoft, but we also work with a bunch of startups and mid-markets. Uh, because it's a marketer that's the main client, we also do a lot of marketing activation. So we'll do research. It's like a brand study, personas, segmentation, whatever it is. And they'll say, hey, but that means we should probably build some content differently. And we'll say, okay, well, we can help you build that content. Um, but we're not a marketing agency first, we're a research firm first. And that's, that drives a lot of our, our thinking and, and kind of worldview. And, um, and I'm, yeah, that's basically it in terms of who we um, are. So many things, I love the fact you say we work for losers because it's, it's about understanding, you're right. If 70% of your clients come to you because of pain, they are losing in some way and they don't wanna lose anymore. So I think that's a great description. I also loved how you said, sometimes they come to you because of bad sales team hygiene. And I know you don't mean that they're stinky. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> they're just doing a, a bad job selling, right, yeah. That's a really great descriptive uh, phrase. I've not heard that before, but it makes so much sense because sometimes the breakdown isn't in your data or your marketing strategy, sometimes it fails at that sales point. That's one of my areas of expertise is how do you determine when we're losing opportunity because we've set everything up for a perfect home run and you know they don't even come up to bat. And well, I'll give you a short, a short yeah. story there since that's is, um, I, you know, when we talk about research initiatives we've done, I can either do one of two things. And this preamble is important. Like I can either tell folks a lot about what we researched and what happened, but then I can't say who the client is because there's right. confidentialities. Or I can say, we work for Google, but I can't tell you anything we did for them. So mm -hmm. what I'm going to do here is not tell you who the client is, because I'm going to tell you a lot about what happened, but they're a Fortune 100 company that's intact that you would know exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened was they said, let's go out and talk to buyers in the UK because we're having a horrible time selling to folks in the UK, just horrific. 
And we did all the research, we interviewed the customers and we got responses back like the following. They said, um, the minute you guys are not the number one product and hence I have to choose you, I'm picking someone else because your sales team are jerks. <gasps> then we got other ones that said, you know, um, your sales team is so aggressive. They're completely not culturally oriented with what the selling in the UK is like. We kind of sent back the research and um, what ended up happening is, and this does, I, I'd like to say this happens all the time, but Fortune 100 companies are a pretty big outfit. Um, our findings went all the way to the CEO. We didn't carry it personally. We carried it fairly high up and then somebody else read it out to the CEO at one point. Um, and they fired the head of sales in the UK, we found out later. And the reason was because they had been shipping Silicon Valley sellers and transplanting them to like Birmingham and Coventry and London and, you know, et cetera. And this crew was just flaming out, like completely flaming out. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just the Ted Lasso effect. It wasn't just them saying like, that's just brown water, right? They weren't just culturally arguing about how weird English things about biscuits and tea versus coffee. They were just selling the wrong way for that culture. And so, um, you know, so yeah, sometimes, and, and this is a company that has gone on to be successful. They have good product lines. They have things people use all the time. It, the, the product itself is not the problem. The problem was the sales team was just the wrong people to send. Right. And so, and there's all kinds of stories like that, that, that happen out there. Yeah. And that's, what's so important is like, to your point, you, you know, the research gives you the data, the data tells you the real story. And that is where you can try and you know, stop the gaps, you can, you know, fix the problem, but sometimes it also leads to very uncomfortable uh, dialogues and situations. Well, yeah, we, um, um, one of our more popular blog posts for years was um, how good people deliver bad news. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was this post about how our compatriots on the other side of the fence, we tend to deliver bad news. Mm -hmm. by definition, because if you hire us to just say you're doing a good job, well, the next obvious retort is why did we pay for this research, right? So it's this weird, <laughs> yeah. we're not negative people at Cascade, we're actually fairly positive people. But it's funny when it comes to what we deliver, it has to have a little bit of half to it, right? Yeah. And a little bit of baseball bat, because like, if it doesn't, um, not only do they question the utility of doing it to begin with, but um, that really is what affects change, you know, right. that, because, because, because one of the other things, is a little, this is a little bit of diversion, but one of the, I was just telling this to somebody we were onboarding today. Um, I said, one of the interesting thing about our client base, um, is that they really need us to tell them bad things because in an average corporate environment, it's very easy for six people around a table to say, we should do this. Mm -hmm. And I think we should do that too. That would be great. Yeah, why don't we think about that? The person who turns around and says, we suck at this. Mm -hmm. The whole room goes silent. There's this moderately career ending moment if they're wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if they're right, they leap forward, right? But, but they know the minute they say, you know, things are really bad around here. Like, I mean, that, that has to be justified. And so we become the consultant in the asbestos suit who flies in and we can take all the heat you want. I said to a client the other day who was trying to make some significant changes to an API they had and kind of the way it was marketed. 
Uh, and to be honest, it's kind of a train wreck and they admit it's a train wreck and they need to get it all like changed at the corporate level. They were like, well, what do we do next? We want to act on these findings, but we need some funding from the powers that be. And I, I just said, we will keep telling the truth to as many people as you want. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We'll just, we'll just, just stick us in the room and we'll keep saying what we learned. Um, I, unfortunately, I will say that the converse is also true. We have had occasional times because, um, you know, there, this isn't, uh, you know, we're not a journalistic outfit. We don't, we don't have like the ability to control the message all the way forward and back. Um, right. We have had clients edit our findings and nerf them sometimes that happens too, right? You know, we're like, here's the truth. And we get into a readout and the client's like, why don't you not talk about slide 18? You know? And we're like, that's yeah. all the bad news. Why don't you want to talk about that? And um, so it, it does work both ways a little bit, but I do feel like we're truth tellers. And I think that's a really, uh, that's a cool job to have in, in a way. Right. I mean, we, 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 and all that to say, the other thing that's super important about what we do um, and I think it's very important if you buy market research is you, you, you need to find somebody who's a truth teller, but who also has some emotional IQ. Like right. we're not just in there to just bludgeon the client, but, but because people only re react so nicely to that. And so like yeah. there's the, and it's one of those things that's a little bit, unfortunately, endemic to market research to knock some of the field a bit is you have a bunch of people who, because they hang out in truth land all the time, mm -hmm. they feel like it doesn't really matter how they communicate it as long as it's true. And you see mm. that in the sciences, you see that in yeah. some other disciplines, legal has some of that too, where it's like, I'll just say the truth. It doesn't matter who it hurts. Yeah. Uh, medical profession has some of that. So it is something that we, we very much watch for when we hire that we, yeah. we bring people in who have enough empathy that they can marry that with being truth tellers and, and that's an important thing to have. It, it really is. Cause that's the, uh, that's kind of that juncture where your data gives not only information, it gives possible outcomes. So it gives hope and the delivery between the reality and the hope is really, really important, you know, because once you give people the data that may be tough to, to hear, but you give them solutions and you deliver it in a way that really does. I, I love, you know, the concept of, of talking about emotional um, intelligence there is when then you get people to actually not bury, bury slide 18, but to say, okay, right. I, I own a part of this. And if well, it's I a good point you raise. Mm -hmm. It's a good point you raise about hope too, because I, I think, um, well, we haven't articulated it with that word directly. I think that's a word I might steal the next time I articulate it, because I think that is a little bit of what we're trying to do with clients all the time is we're trying to get them to understand the valley they're in, but let them see what's shining on the other side that they can get to. And, uh, and, 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 and a little bit of that too on us is that part of the reason we only work with B2B tech is all of this, what we just talked about, mm -hmm. it would be so hard for us to give that much focus. If I was flipping between like a project on M&Ms and a next project for Etsy and then the next project was for Microsoft and the next project was for a car manufacturer. Right. I, I don't know enough about those businesses to be able to do that, which is why, you know, one of the things that's led us to be really successful is, um, is honestly how much we've said no. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, I know for entrepreneurs, 
you could almost say no is a word that they're trained not to say. Like they're trained to say like, yes, go to the next meeting and yes, get up earlier and yes, get on the plane and yes, go give that talk. And, and honestly, I would say once you are making some amount of money mm-hmm. at all, I, I think you need to learn how to say no. Absolutely. And very and for many entrepreneurs, they, they don't, I, I honestly say they don't ever learn it. I, I meet so many of them that they, they, if you really look at the problem and why they're not being successful, they don't know the word no. And what's weird about it is these are people that on the outside, if you looked at them, they're very type A, they seem to be making very concrete decisions that are very hash marked. And yet, yet what's really happening is they're just enabling a bunch of yeses. Yes. They're not really actually slicing in and putting in any no's. And, and, and I, it's one of the first things I usually do when I talk to another entrepreneur is I tend to angle into like, well, well, who are we not going to serve and and who are we? What, what are we not going to offer? And, and usually it comes off like, why are you talking about that? And I'm like, because unless I carve this box out for you a little bit, I even did this for a friend of mine the other day who um, owns a, a industrial laser outfit. And we were talking about his line of business. And this was just over the kitchen table. And I was like, you know, we got we to gotta box this in a little bit yeah. more. You know, just because your P&L shows you've worked with all these people doesn't mean you want to work with all these people next year. So that was a lot of things all in one thing, but that's just, I know. (laughs) And it's so true. And I love it. Well, you know, and we're going to dive down a little bit deeper into that um, right after the break. So Sean, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor for the month and we will be right back. Have you ever considered hiring a virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Let Kukua Biz help. Kukua Biz matches talented professionals from Kenya with small businesses around the globe. Affordable weekly rates allow you to have a dedicated full-time staff member to help you with anything from administrative tasks, social media management, public relations, and more. Go to kukuabiz.com today for more information or email info at kukuabiz.com. Kukuabiz, that's K-U-K-U-A-B-I-Z dot com. And we are back with Sean Campbell. And I loved how you were getting into that. It's really interesting. Uh, uh, I have been going through a series of uh, elements within our business as we're looking into the new year about where we're saying no in 2022. And it's become very, very powerful to uh, dissect some of the elements that we've been in and make some decisions. So I know that that's, uh, that's incredibly important. But what else? You know, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. You've worn a lot of hats. Um, you've had some different businesses and been in different kinds of positions in businesses. You know, besides the ability to say no sometimes, what do you think has, you know, really helped you as an entrepreneur? What's, what's you know, become maybe part of your superpower? Um. You know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't actually have this um, touchstone to to tie into what I'm going to say next till just the other day. Although it was probably, I could have bumped into it at any time. But I, I read about Warren Buffett said that uh, this is just the other day, and he's probably been saying this for like 30 years. I just never <laughs> saw it. Um, that knowledge is compounding, and the reason he sits there and reads voraciously all the time is because it's like compounding interest. And the, the, you know, and I know that for me, the thing that's been the biggest driver for my success is kind of a little duality. I love to learn 
Well, I'd say it's a, it's a triad. If I really be super clear, it's a triad. It's like, I love to learn, but I'm happy to read all kinds of things I disagree with. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back to that in a minute. And the minute I figured out some central thread, I have to go teach somebody it. Ah. Not yell at somebody it, not preach him it, not teach him it. Yeah. And, and, and which leads to a lot, a lot of other things. So we could break down either one of them, but like on the, on the knowledge side, I don't know. I think I have like 1300 Kindle books now, like no exaggeration. Like, I mean, so like no exaggeration. So I am like a voracious learn and read is, and and the reality is as simple as that sounds, most people stopped reading a long time ago. Most business professionals stop reading. They, they shard out their knowledge to little tiny things. Uh, Twitter teaches you nothing. I just want to get that on record. Twitter teaches you <laughs> nothing. Okay. So I just want to be clear. I know there's links to things that teach you something, but let's be clear in Twitter. I don't really know if you learn anything. So whatever minutes you're spending there, go read a book. So, exactly. uh, and then, and then secondly, um, very few people read things that conflict with what they already believe. True. And business owners do this too. And you wouldn't think they do, but they do. They, they tend to like, if they like a certain way of management, well, then they go read a bunch of that. If they like a certain way of thinking about marketing, they read a bunch of that. Um, and it takes real effort to go find things you disagree with. And, and I'll give you a little experiment. This is a little bit off topic from business, but it's, it gives you a good piece of homework. It's the teacher in me, I guess, right? So homework wise, the next time you see a news event, and as we record this, there are many news events worth talking about the last week in America. I won't date yes. it because I don't know when you'll put this live, but like th- this is a very busy week in America and a very tragic week in America on many levels. So yes. um, as you read stories, are you willing to open up every single major outlet that you know has different takes on it Yeah, and just read what they write and, st- and only stop when you get to outlet six, seven, or eight? Most people have nowhere near the tenacity for that. And when you think about it, like from a um, business standpoint, you need that kind of input. You desperately need it. And then the third thing is, um, I just am a huge believer in teaching and more importantly, apprenticeship in business. I I think we've done something really wrong with training, like catastrophically Mm -hmm. wrong. And this is a guy who I taught an MBA program for a while. I started out my career as an entrepreneur, as an independent trainer and speaker. I, I love training. I think knowledge transfer is awesome. But um, when it comes to training new people, we've done this weird thing with the growth of like HR and training departments and all the rest of it, where um, there's like this defined window and then you're trained. And I tell my people all the time, and this is tough for millennials to hear. And I, I almost hesitate to say that because we have lots of millennials that I love. And I love all the millennials we have in the building. Um, but, and, and, and I don't think anybody that we've brought on has this problem because I make a big point about it in the interviews. But I say, um, you're going to come here and this is the way it's going to work is that there's going to be onboarding. There's going to be concrete, discrete learning. But then you're going to be in a position where you're apprenticeshipping for forever, really. Like I'll, I'll give you raises and I'll give you promotions and you'll get new levels of responsibility. All of that will happen. But by definition, as a services firm, we are hired for what we know. People sometimes like, don't go do that thing all on your own. If cascade always knows it, like if cascade knows it in the third person, 
go find the person who knows it and work collaboratively. Because the minute you work on it on your own, a million bad things have happened. One, you've, you've wasted hours, you've frustrated yourself, you've, you've cost the company profit that, not, not that that's the main thing, but it's reality, right? Absolutely. And, and you haven't collaborated. And normally, um, at least in the line of work we do, collaboration is good. I mean, we all know, like, what did Twain say? A camel is a horse made by committee or something like that, <laughs> right? So like, you know, I, it, committees aren't always awesome, right? I'm not saying that, but but knowledge workers collaborating is usually a good thing. And yeah. so um, I just tell people all the time, like you're, you're going to be apprenticed here forever. And where I think that conflicts with the, the modern world of HR and onboarding, it's like you go through the program and you're done. Yeah, true. And I feel like we've just done something really, really bad to a whole generation of workers, honestly, by, by, by taking away this idea that is how people were trained for millennia. Right. There was, there was no- an apprenticeship. That was the way it was supposed to work because the idea was, why in the world am I going to make you have you make 19 bad horseshoes when right. you could make 19 good ones exactly. just by talking to the guy on the other side of the shop for five minutes, right? I was why, just going to say, nobody learned how to enable you to make 18 bad ones, right? Why, just because I'm afraid of hurting your feelings or something. And, and that's the last thing I want to say is that's the part that's, that's insidious about it. Yes. I realized that by saying apprenticeship, it creates a bit of a power dynamic. I realize that it, it, it forces the idea that someone is more knowledgeable than you. And I think to some degree, that's what hurts this is like, it's this unwillingness to, to say people are not level. Yeah. If that makes sense, like, like apprenticeship requires by definition, the idea that someone else in the company has more knowledge than you. It, it is in, it is endemic to the DNA of the word apprenticeship. And I think in this weird effort to make everybody feel somewhat equivalent in the organization and everything they share and everything they offer. Uh, and, and, and I realized you take that too far. There's a tyranny. I'm not trying to suggest that in the slightest, but there has to be that gap. It has to exist for apprenticeship to work. And I just think we've we've lost the we've lost the sheet music for that. Well, you know, as you were talking too, I was thinking about the challenge. And I, I get asked this question a lot when I'm speaking on leadership is, you know, what what's happened to mentorship and should I find a mentor? And that's fraught with just as many challenges because you know, nobody wants to go have a mentor, which is, you know, the same kind of concept. And people are afraid if I am going to become a mentor for someone else, that means that I have to figure out everything to do for them and train them. And I'm responsible for them. And I think you're right. We're, we're making it too polarized rather than, you know, mentoring is you can have a mentor in lots of different areas. You can be an apprentice in lots of different ways because somebody does know more than you in that one area or in that, you know, in, in, in a category and the less that it's it's daunting, maybe the more we can open up and try to expand our horizons by collaboration. Well, and one thing on the mentorship thing, I would say to people who struggle with that, I would say it's not your job as the mentor to come up with an agenda. Exactly. Exactly. If, if the mentee can't come to you with a list of questions, you can fire them as a mentee. Yes. I, I think that's the short, because they, they are supposed to come to you like, like a little little microcosm of that, like in our onboarding process, one of the things we do in the first week is everybody goes off and interviews a bunch of the other practice leaders. And there's always, and I just went through this this morning as we were onboarding actually a staff account in the finance department. And I said, I said, you're going to go talk to all these people. 
And, and there was always this moment where they're like, well, what's the agenda going to be? And I say, look, if you can't call somebody up in this company and say, I'd like to know what you do and they can't talk for half an hour, we have problems. Right. So we have problems in a whole different area. So like, yes. you know, I, but my point is you can come up with even a simple agenda or more direct questions, but I, um, anyway, anyway, yeah, I No, it's true. I take this I, wherever I totally you want to go, but yeah. No, I love it. I think it's so true. And it, it really does get back to the, the sense of if you're trying to reinvent the wheel or you're trying to do it all yourself, you know, what reason are you doing that is for ego or protection or you're, you know, afraid of how you're going to look. Well, then we also have other problems within our organizations if we have that instead of saying collaboration means that we are all trying to help each other. And that means that's going to help the client. It's going to help our, our company and it's going to help all of us individually. Mm -hmm. Amen. You're preaching to the crowd, to the choir here. I love it. Good deal. Sean, Good um, deal. we can talk about this stuff forever because I'm just totally passionate about it, but I know we are going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, if you go to cascadeinsights.com, you'll find my contact info there. Um, you can also just email me at Sean, S-E-A-N at cascadeinsights.com. Uh, and one thing to note, I have kind of a little bit of duality why I'm happy to get on shows. Uh, one is obviously if you have interest in what Cascade Insights does, you know, we're always happy to talk. But if you're an entrepreneur and you just want to talk to somebody who's maybe been there or through this, or you've got a question about sales or marketing or whatever, you know, um, I, I'm always happy to just pick up the phone and talk to somebody for a little while. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be for Cascade's reasons. So just you know, if you've got a concern, you can always hit me. And if I can help, I will. Excellent. I love it. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Uh, go order a book. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. And you can obviously have thousands of them on your Kindle. I do as well. Sean, thank you so much for being our guest today. It has been a pleasure not only talking to you, learning a little bit more about your story, but sharing the passionate topic of how we can all make ourselves and our companies better. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.